0: We are the Opinions Team from Empowered Journalism, and this
1: is the Empowered Opinions Podcast. Because if it's wrong here, but it's right over the border, then, like how wrong actually is it? We're in a scientific
2: crisis, we have to start making decisions scientifically. It looks as
0: difficult for them as it would be for me, and that's not something I want in a leadership. Hello and welcome to our 10th episode of Empowered Opinions. Today we're going to be talking about the lockdown easing across the UK and specifically talking about England and Wales. I'm going to pass over
2: to Sanjana to introduce our guest. Hi everyone, Um, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode. And today we're going to be chatting to Holly who is our representative from Wales and myself and Arlie will be covering a little bit about how it's been in England. Holly, if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit more, tell us more about yourself, and also tell us something you've done and/or are looking forward to doing when there are no restrictions and you feel safe to do so.
1: Okay, great, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, my name's Holly, and I'm an A level student from South Wales, um, and I'm going to be studying English literature at Cardiff University next year. And I've been writing for Empowered since the very beginning actually so it's really lovely to see how far it's come Um, and something I'm looking forward to doing when there are no restrictions is going back to watch the football. I'm a big football fan so I can't wait to travel up to the stadiums again and also a holiday in the sun because I'm missing my all-inclusive ice creams.
2: that's something I can definitely relate to and I know Adi is a massive football fan so can definitely relate to that one as well I mean Adi what are you looking forward to doing when there are no restrictions
0: uh well so much honestly I'm just looking forward to like not having to think too much when I leave the house um but yeah again um going to football matches big one going to concerts seeing people oh there's just too much to be honest it's just everything (laughs)
2: definitely. I think, I mean, I went to the theatre yesterday, um, which there are still a few restrictions there, like you had to wear your mask and stuff, but I think doing things like going to the theatre or going to a concert stadium is something I'm really looking forward to as well, because I think feeling everyone around me just there doing stuff was like such a weird feeling after 18 months of being cooped up inside. Okay, let's get right into it then. Um, I guess if everyone can introduce where are you from? Uh where maybe whereabouts in England for myself and Ardi. And um how have the restrictions recently changed for you? So what's the last change been? So um Adi, do you want to go first?
0: Sure. So um I'm from England, specifically Southwest London. And for me, restrictions lifted Um, well all legal restrictions lifted on the 19th of July and so currently there are no legal restrictions of any sort Um, but there are obviously still guidelines um, including the wearing of face masks on um, all TFL uh, transportation and um, some shops um, and retail stores have also enforced mask wearing Um, but other than that technically I'm free.
2: And Holly what about you?
1: So I'm from the south of Wales as I said and we're a little bit behind the rest of the UK in terms of restrictions I believe so it's currently the rule of six indoors and face masks is still compulsory Um, but we should be losing all restrictions on the 7th of August but as for now I think we're we're just like a stage behind where England were.
2: Great yeah and um, I guess like Adi was saying technically we're sort of quote-unquote free Um, but how are you feeling about that potential freedom coming to you on the 7th of August and how are you feeling about the current restrictions? Do you feel like you're at the right stage at the moment or um, do you feel like it could be faster or slower? Um, Holly if I go to you first.
1: Um, Yeah that's a really good question because I think I'm in a really privileged position where I can say that I'm looking forward to feeling some more freedom but I can recognize that that isn't the case for everyone. So I do worry about those close to me who won't actually have the freedom that a lot of people are thinking that coming out of lockdown is. Um, But I think we're in a good place. I think it's not very restrictive at the moment in terms of we can meet up with um, up to 30 outside, um, which is, it's a nice number for in the summer. So I don't feel as restricted as I did when the weather wasn't as nice. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to just just feeling like there's not a limit on what I can do. That doesn't mean I'm just going to go and do everything I possibly can. But feeling like I can do it if I wanted to is something I'm looking forward to.
0: Definitely something I agree with in terms of my position. It, being in this current state of technically inverted commas freedom is quite um it feels quite relieving relieving uh it, but it, it feels it feels nice but i i do agree there are some things that still scare me so for example there was um football club I support that um is down the road from me they're doing like so they've just built a new stadium and so they're sort of trialing they like bringing in fans back into the stadium, stadium and they can't be at full capacity yet and there's a sort of a trial event that's the second trial event that's taking place that's actually free tickets so I'm um, a member. So I was looking at it and I was thinking, oh, I could take one of my friends because they're free. So I don't have to force her to pay to come with me. Um, she's not a big football fan, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> but um, I was looking at the sort of the rules and guidelines and things. And obviously, there's no restrictions, no face masks, no, no, nothing like that. And you don't even have to prove a negative test or have any proof of vaccination coming in. So you only have to just agree to not come obviously if you have any symptoms of covid or if you've tested positive for covid and i was looking through these and i just thought even however much i want to go i don't feel safe going just knowing that that obviously lots of people will be crowding around in a very small space together it's going to be full capacity in one stand of the of the arena so everyone will be quite close um and i've sort of just this is on the 31st of july and it just in my head it feels too close um so even though it's something I want to do. And even though it's legal, I've decided not to. Um, And I suppose that's one thing that is good from these restrictions, having ease that you can now you get to choose. But I can see um, potential for big, obviously big increases in infection
2: rates and also potential exclusion for other people in society. I think that's really interesting. I think. I mean, we'll probably have a more specific think about exclusion generally later on, especially for people who are vulnerable. But it made me think a little bit about our position. So all of us here, uh, either, you know, at school or about to go to university, um, most of us, I assume, are either single jabbed or haven't been offered the vaccine yet because we're too young. Um, And it's another thing, you know, another thing to think about is that at the moment, the third wave is affecting disproportionately young people. And um, it's a lot of young people who are going to hospital, a lot of young people who are more susceptible to the Delta variant because they're not double jabbed. Um, and I found myself in a similar position where I really like the idea that I can go and do things. I could technically go to the club if I wanted to. You know, That's, that's what they say being young is all about. But at the same time, I am finding myself feeling more scared because I do know that I am less protected and so I am kind of wearing my mask more because I know about long Covid and how it affects us and um, I wonder Holly if you feel that maybe Wales is kind of on the right track in terms of letting it letting more young people get vaccinated first so that everyone can feel more comfortable being free including young people like you know yourself myself and Adi.
1: Yeah definitely I think well I actually had my second vaccine this week which I was really relieved to have, obviously. But no, I definitely think in Wales, I know a lot of my friends have actually had one or two vaccines now. So I'm feeling more comfortable in the sense that I I do have another vaccine. Like I am double jabs, as they say. But I do think it's still like difficult because we're at a position where the vaccine is still being offered to people my age so some people haven't had it at all yet some people have only had one and some people have had two it's kind of like the age group is a bit mixed in terms of whether we're vaccinated or not and that makes it quite difficult because some places might like you were just talking about football I know I've seen things about how maybe in the future you'll have to be double vaccinated to go to a football game or to go to certain places and then it puts you're in a difficult position when you're at a stage where you and your friends and people your age are at at like different levels in terms of the vaccine but obviously I do feel very grateful to have been able to have had the vaccine um I had it because I I was on a reserve list so I had my first one back in May um, because they had some spares at the local centre so I was very lucky that I had it when I wasn't like a priority group Um, But I know some people are still waiting. I was just thinking when you were talking about
0: being double jabbed because um, I've only got one vaccine at the moment. And my second one, well, the eight week period sort of falls in the beginning of September or the end of August, sort of. And I'm thinking about the people in my age group who are getting vaccinated now and how their, their period is, their two month period is going to fall sort of later than that and with the government i feel like i saw something along the lines of by september you'll only be let into certain events and places and things if you're double jabbed so that's going to put restrictions on people not because of their sort of choices but also because of just sort of the way sort of i don't know the logistics around surrounding something that they can't control i
2: think it's really interesting to think about um different rules for different people different rules um in terms of your circumstances in relation to the way that we've been dealing with COVID throughout this pandemic right because unlike a lot of other countries um, we've had this devolution which means that we kind of follow similar rules but not exactly and especially with COVID we've seen a lot of the devolved regions will sort of take on their own rules as so Scotland has had a, their own set of rules Wales as well in their own opening up and same with Northern Ireland. Um, England has always tended to be Closer to opening up more, I think we've we've never really been like taking a we take more risks than more protection. But how effective do you think it is then to have sort of England just going full steam ahead with freedom when you've got people in Scotland who are don't have that that same access to freedom or Wales, etc. How effective do you think that's been over in Wales? Do you think people are more like? Um, happy to accept like less restrictions or more restrictions or do they feel like oh why is that region got this and we haven't got that or why is this region having more protection when we don't have that protection?
1: Um, yeah I think it's a difficult one because I'm happy that Wales have taken things slightly slower but the difference in rules from region to region makes it harder to remember what the rules actually are and to understand what's right and wrong because if it's wrong here but it's right over the border then like how wrong actually is it if it can be right somewhere else and I think like if we all followed the same rules it might have been easier for people to understand and follow because I think a lot of the time people haven't been following the rules not because they necessarily want to not follow them but because they're simply just confused over what's right where they are so I do think that if we had like a a similar pathway then it would be a lot easier although I do think actually it is quite clear where we've kind of been three weeks behind England most of the time so that has made it slightly easier knowing that well on the next review we're likely to be where England are now Um, but I do think it's made it difficult because we've been wanting to visit family in England Um, and I think it was a bit weird actually we were going we went to visit family in England a couple of weeks ago. Um, and when we were driving, technically, when before we got to the Seven Bridge, we, were, we weren't doing what we were supposed to do because there was like an extra person. But then as soon as we crossed that bridge, it was completely legal there. And then that makes it really difficult because well, we all had to travel together because that was the only way we could get there. But for the first like 40 minutes, we weren't doing what we were supposed to do. Um, But it's like it's really difficult on circumstances like that where it doesn't really make sense why it's so different.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think you touched upon something really interesting there, which is like there are no real border controls right between any of our devolved regions because we are just like like different countries, but we're all kind of part of, of the United Kingdom. And so then it gets really confusing. Like you say, when you're like on one side of the border, and maybe you have seven people and that's, you could technically get, you know, penalised for that. And then suddenly you're over the border and that's completely fine. And you kind of, in a scientific sense, you're like, that's very confusing. And I'm, I'm sure, I don't know if Adi will agree with me here, but I kind of get that with a few of the travel rules that are going on right now, which apply for everyone. But um, I feel like there are certain confusing things just going on with England where it's like... Um, So technically, if you're in London and you're on any TFL thing, you should have to wear a mask. But if you were going on like a similar underground thing in Manchester, you wouldn't have to wear a mask. Or if you're going to um, like an amber list country and you're double jabbed, you don't have to quarantine unless you're going to an amber plus list country, in which case you do have to quarantine. And it's like, where is the kind of logic behind all of these rules? I don't know. What's your experience? with that be, be? (laughs) Nathalie? I can 100% agree with you like the the sort of
0: layering of rules on top of rules as they sort of figure out small loopholes and try and patch them up with more rules has been very confusing I did find it easier I know there was a small point of time about like was it like six months ago when like there were so many different regions with so many different rules that it was so hard to know what what on earth was going on. Like your specific county or even your town could be under like different rules to the one next door to you. And that made traveling and working so hard. So I am happy that now it feels like I kind of know what's going on, especially in in terms of my life, because my life is fairly straightforward. I don't have to travel too much. My work and my surrounding livelihood is quite nearby. So I don't have to consider jetting off around various parts of the country for various things. Whereas I can imagine if you needed to work for, if you need to travel for work, rather, um, either that be abroad or even up and down the country, the, this current situation could be very difficult to navigate, especially as you said, with different rules in different regions. Uh, specifically on transport and things um but i do think that there is something to save for specialization like i don't know how you feel about this holly but um from where i've been sitting in sort of south old england um looking at wales as progress especially on the vaccine rollout has been incredible specifically their like ability to organize as a small nation and get that rolling really quickly has it sort of i, I think is sort of a applauded them applauded the idea of devolution and it's and its advantages especially as, as well in terms of Scotland obviously we don't have a Scottish rap here but I know that Nicola Sturgeon and sort of her leadership was applauded specifically at the beginning of the pandemic being able to foresee certain things that somehow missed the sight of the uh, UK government the central UK government that is um, and even caused them to u quite a few times so I think there is something to say for specialisation.
2: Yeah, I'm following on from Ardy and how well the vaccine rollout we feel anyway has gone over in Wales. You're already double jabbed. We've got to wait till the end of August. Um, how do you feel the vaccine rollout has gone in your country, Holly?
1: Yeah, I think it's gone really well. I think Wales has been one of the best for vaccinations. I've seen a few things which obviously I'm really happy about. And of course, there's still been a few hurdles, but for the most part, I think it's just worked out really well. Um, I was looking at the figures on the Welsh Government's weekly update this morning, and 90% of adults have had their first dose and 72 have had their second, which obviously that's a really huge number in such a short space of time because we can't forget that this vaccine only really started being rolled out to people in like December. So we're not even like a year in and 90% of adults already had at least one. I just think it's amazing. Um, And I am really proud of how well it's gone in Wales. And I hope that other countries can follow through on that because there's no point in just one country doing really well. We need to get to the same level in like every country for it to actually work. Because until most countries are vaccinated at the same point, travel is always going to be a risk and so yeah I think we've done really well but now we also need to step up and help the other countries as well. Yeah I think it's really interesting that you
0: bring that up as well because there is a sort of a maybe a nationalistic blindness in terms of um, vaccines and, and having your own country vaccinated once people wrap their heads around the fact that we needed to get a high percentage of your own country vaccinated it seems there's been a delay in the idea of having you know the rest of the world vaccinated to the same extent so that we can all operate on an equal playing field um and yeah I agree with you and sort of to offer an English perspective um I think in terms of my expectations um I think the vaccine rollout here has gone pretty well too definitely not as fast as Wales but um I am happy to be to be jabbed already I mean I don't know if that's something that I should have expected, but um, it seems in terms of what I was expecting before, I thought that I wouldn't be jabbed until July. So I don't know when I... No, I ended up getting it at the end of June, which exceeded my expectations. In terms of I'm in terms of it being second or like having my second dose, I'm actually happy to wait. I know lots of people are trying to jump the queue because I've seen that sort of the optimum... I don't know what to believe really, because I've seen the optimum wait time is eight weeks, but then in the trials, it was three weeks um and so and then I think you can actually get it after four so I really don't know what's going on but I'm happy to wait eight weeks if that is the optimum time um because I have not I don't have any plans for the summer and I don't plan on doing anything that you need to be double jabbed for and if I'm going to get double jabbed at the end of August it doesn't really affect me but it does affect other people which I'm aware of especially the vulnerable um so that's something that I definitely think needs to be considered and then in extension to that being having the rest of the world vaccinated um is just a given really and um I can see in sort of the coming months how that fo- the shift focus needs to shift in that direction uh for things to work out in the long term so bringing this idea I suppose into our fourth question of how effective our leadership the leadership of the country has been um it's sort of cl- tied very closely to vaccinations in your opinion do you, have the rules always been clear in England and has the right decision always been taken? And so sort of what do you think overall as a country that consensus has been?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a really good point because I think the vaccine rollout has gone very, very well. Um, I'd, I'd say that in terms of this government, it's probably one of the things they've done very well. Um, Nadeem Sadawi is doing a very good job with the vaccine rollout. It definitely exceeded my expectations in terms of getting my jab at the end of June. Uh, I was on a similar time scale. I thought I wouldn't get it until the end of July. Um, at the same time, I think we, you know, we need to, in terms of vaccinating the world, I do remember when I got my jab at the end of June, I was thinking, my God, like, people who I know in India right now are really struggling. And I'm just here like getting the vaccine. Like I'm not immunocompromised in any sense of the word, I'm young. I'm not saying that I won't get affected if I get COVID, but I was like, do I deserve this jab? Um, It really did make me think a lot about that. But um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, it was a good call from the government to try and just roll it out as much as possible to the adults. Um, And I think that that was a, a good decision to do here. In terms of leadership going forward, A, with the vaccine, I think one thing that's worrying from a London perspective is that the take-up in London is actually still quite low. Um, out of the, the take-up, like the, the regions in which um, are lowest, I'm pretty sure like 10 of the counties are in London or the 10 of the regions are in London that are like the lowest uh, take-up of the vaccine. So going forward, I think they, they need to be a bit more specialized because I saw Sajid Javid on, um, some sort of news program yesterday, but I saw him on the news and he was just saying, We need Londoners to step forward and take the jab like it's on you guys. Which, yes, I guess partly it is, but I feel like the leadership needs to be more tailored. Like, why are people from London not getting the jab? Is it be- why is there vaccine hesitancy in our communities? Like, what is the mistrust? And then tailor it to get people the right information and to stop disinformation and misinformation in terms of the rules. Um, I think I'm going to be a a bit more damning of the government because, like you said, when we were going through that tier system, I had no idea what was going on. And not only that, but like where I live, I live on like the border of like three different boroughs. So like I can drive five minutes and get into Sutton. I can stay in my borough and I'll be in Croydon and I can drive about five, 10 minutes and I'll be in Surrey. And there was at one point when my borough was in tier three. So you like couldn't go for restaurants or anything. And then I went, I was like, oh, well, I want to meet my friends from Caterham because I hadn't seen them in ages. And I could literally just drive to Caterham and go and get a Costa with them. Um, So it wouldn't be a problem. And then funnily enough, two days later, Surrey also went into Tier 3. And my best guess for why that happened was because everyone from Croydon and Sutton who can drive 20 minutes to get into Surrey probably went there to do stuff and meet with their friends. And so then the cases went up there. So in terms of have the rules always been clear, like they've just not been logical, as we said before. And I think going forward, we need to really learn our lessons. Like if there's a variant coming from somewhere, close the border immediately. Like stop making political decisions. We're in a scientific crisis. We have to start making decisions scientifically. Um, Holly, I don't know if you agree. I think, um, you know, Wales has always been like a little bit more cautious so maybe they've been better on that standpoint than us but how have you felt your leadership has been?
1: Yeah no I agree with everything you're saying but I'd say for like in Wales um, I say the leadership has been effective it's been slow but it has been effective I think for the most part um, there was like confusing when we had local lockdowns it was like my county was in lockdown but my dad was working in the county next to us and like He wasn't in lockdown, it was that was confusing. Um, I don't really understand the logic behind that, but I think they realized that quite quickly and it didn't last very long. Um, but I feel like for the most part, the rules have been quite clear. Um, I just think now some people have are getting a bit impatient and fed up because we're a little behind the rest of the UK. And I do understand their frustration because it's difficult when you see everything on the news about like England's Freedom Day and Wales are still not quite there but I do also understand why we're not quite there Um, and I also think like the leadership was good in that we had no promises set for an end date too early I think that was really good because I think people would have lost the motivation to stick to the rules if like the end date was pushed back like it was in England Um, so I do think good decisions have been made but obviously with everywhere there have been mistakes and things that would have been improved on had we known more. Probably, I think it's really interesting
0: to hear you say because um, I know personally, I sort of every sort of logical part of my brain knew that even though we'd pushed back Freedom Day from the twenty-first of June to the nineteenth of July, uh, there was a part of me that knew that probably we should we should have pushed it back more. To be honest with you, um, cases were still going up, young people were still becoming sick, and vaccines hadn't been rolled out fully. And so even in this current situation, I don't think we should be free, but then I have to level with you that that, that would have really, really bummed me out if we had been, if it had been pushed back. Um, and there was, a, there was a lot of, as you say, I can imagine that sort of like that monotony of the, the people are fed up I I can see that having happened even with me having just been fed up of the rules despite the fact that I logically or like objectively know that they're in place for a good reason and I'm not uh, doubting them in any way I'm not a denier (laughs) But yeah, I there was a, definitely a part of me that was was cling when the government announced June twenty first to begin with. I clung to that. That was like that was my dream day. I was so happy about it, and I have to be honest, like it even gave me hope, even though it was definitely wrong of them to to name a day, not knowing what was going to happen. It was it was definitely a source of hope, and so it's really difficult. I can I can definitely sympathise that leading in this current situation is difficult. It's really hard. But you would think that that I mean I'm only 18. I I would think that people in government who know a bit more than me surely must know something more on, on like how to how to lead a country through something like this. Like I know it feels difficult for me, but I would I would expect me to find that difficult. Um, and so that's it's what's been I think the sort of overall feeling about this leadership has been the idea that it, that it, it looks as difficult for them as it would be for me. And that's not something I want in her leadership. I want to be, I want to trust them. I want to be, uh, I want to feel like I'm safe. And I didn't feel like I was safe a lot of the time. I felt like a lot of holes are being covered after the leaks have come through um, a lot of the time in the past 18 months as a whole, not just in the recent past. And sort of looking over the border, especially specifically at Scotland and Wales and things, it's, it's looked like a much safer haven. Uh, even though it's probably felt a bit more, what's the word, draining, I suppose. So that's sort of been our perception of England from England, which I know is very England-centric,
2: is that a word? Um, But uh, that's sort of how I felt about it. I think that's a really interesting point. But I think um, similarly, it's it's been draining in like two different ways because I think as soon as Holly said that word, frustration, I think it made me think immediately of like the way the government has been acting um, over here, just as a UK government, and I feel like this has probably resonated, not just in England, but across Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland as well, because there was the one half of it, which was like, I didn't necessarily always feel safe with the UK government who were taking most of the decisions for England. But I think the other real slap in the face for a lot of it was um, the fact that yes, this is a difficult position to lead in, but these people weren't even leading by example. And one case in point is, of course, last weekend, uh, we saw that both the Chancellor Rishi Sunak and the Prime Minister himself were pinged to isolate uh, because Sajid Javid has got COVID, as many people across the country are getting pinged. Um, and at the moment, lots of people are self isolating. This is causing loads of trouble to businesses, it's causing food shortages, it's causing uh, transport to reduce their timetables and to cancel trains, which by extension, that have impact on commuters. But for some reason, um, well, we knew the reason there was this pilot scheme, which just happened to be there for the government. These both Boris Johnson and the Chancellor came out and said they weren't going to isolate. Now, my problem there, I think, wasn't with the scheme. The scheme is the scheme. They have to try all these things so they know what to do next about in terms of self-isolation. But my problem was that They knew that confidence in the isolation was low at the moment. They knew that people didn't have confidence in the app and that more people were deleting it, but they didn't think as leaders, we should lead by example, even though we're part of this scheme, let's isolate, let's bring up everyone's confidence. Let's show everyone that we're in this together. And um, I can't speak much for the leadership of Wales and, and Scotland and Northern Ireland, but I just wonder if you guys also felt those reverberations of the the UK government didn't make us feel like we were in this together because I've felt that on multiple occasions. I don't know, Holly. Did you have any insights on that?
1: Yeah, no, I do. I agree actually because even as you said, it wasn't technically like it happened in England. It did over here. I did see a lot of people losing trust in like the entire thing. Um, but I do think it's difficult because I agree that the study, the pilot study, it should be tested, but when someone has so much authority and power and then they decide that they're like the ones who are above the rules, kind of, it does frustrate the public. Um, And I think people are just finding opportunities to criticize the government and point out the wrongdoings because we are all just so fed up of this now. And so if we don't feel like the leaders are being leaders, then it just does make us fed up and like, What's the point in us doing this if our own leader isn't going to see the benefit and do what a leader should do? Yeah, 100% agree with both of you there. Um, it's it's definitely leading
0: by example. And you would think that at the opportunity, as you said, Sanjana, to, to sort of put trust back in the confidence of something that was slipping away, you would expect them to do that. And But um, I think it's more funny that they had to then reverse their decision as a result of um, public outcry. Um, sort of goes to show a lot of the time sort of how much influence people have Um, and um, you know that makes me happy that we have so much influence but then it also makes me sad that we have to resort to so much to correct the actions of our government and particularly on sort of government actions I thought there was, I know we discussed it already a little bit, but are there any groups in society that you've identified or that you know or particularly are sort of privy to um, that you think have been left behind as a result of um, the recent restrictions easing and uh, or restrictions not easing? Because I know there are, there are certain groups that were particularly suffering when restrictions were in place. and was that right was it right for them to be kept in those positions or currently people to be kept in the positions they are locked sort of locked out of society potentially and what might be the way to tackle that would it be again public outcry or is there something else that can that can happen
1: so I think like in a way all groups in society were left behind or like in one way or another and of course like I'm a healthy young woman I live in a supportive family with a roof over my head and this food on the table so i was in a very privileged position in lockdown and i was very lucky for that but i still feel like my educational needs weren't met in terms of like school and and all that like we were still kind of left behind in that sense but of course there's like the government actions did leave a lot of groups behind and disadvantage a lot of people like those shielding and vulnerable i feel are still being left behind now because it seems like they've been sort of left to fend for themselves Um, And also you said a bit about how people in lockdown was like disruptive, and like women in abusive households. To me, it seems like the first lockdown was announced without thinking about the implication for women and children or men in abusive households. Like I know they said legally you could leave an unsafe environment, but they didn't really consider how difficult that would be when a lot of support groups were cancelled, people were trapped. And maybe they didn't want to leave and risk passing COVID onto another household. So I think, I just think the government kind of um, thought that maybe everybody would be okay with this and didn't really think how certain groups would suffer. And therefore they didn't really tackle it at all. And I think it's a bit, it's quite late now to tackle. We've seen like a rise in domestic abuse, and we wouldn't have seen that rise, perhaps, if the government had thought about that sooner. But I think going forward, we just need more education, more conversation and just more support groups and more like funding in place and government action to tackle the issues that have resulted from the lockdown. I think it was actually
0: not allowed for them to leave. There weren't any particular caveats for Women in abusive households at the beginning of the first pandemic, the first lockdown, and I think it was a campaign by Victoria, Derbyshire, that helped to bring that to the forefront. And then in the second lockdown, I think it was or the third, I'm not sure. That that was that was changed. I think that Kate, I think she talked about that in our empowered um uh, workshop with her. Equally, I think something that's come out of this pandemic is you know when you're t- when you're isolated from lots of people, you learn like. Where that support is lacking and where that support is vital and necessary, and there are certain places where, you know, people are living on the brink of of survival, basically, um, both with the, those in sus- those specific situations that we mentioned already, and there were there were quite a few businesses and people in sort of very sort of living sort of hand to mouth quite quite literally um in terms of their earnings and their their livelihood and when that when their businesses were closed or their work was put or they were put on furlough that really exacerbated that problem and i don't think i think there were lots of people um sort of in that sector calling for the government to to sort of ease restrictions and put people back in work but i think that's a Of products of a larger problem if people are struggling to survive. Um, and I know there were sort of cries for the furlough scheme to be extended, which it finally was, thank god. But there are other things like sort of benefits and people support government support that was put in place to help people. Um, but there are sort of I think there are a lot more questions to be asked of why there are people in society who are in that position where they have no financial security and if there were to be god forbid another event like this and it, it's something that is quite likely like if it's not a pandemic there's sort of a big threat of um climate disasters and things like that that could really put have the potential to put put a country in in sort of standstill really um there has to be a way to to help to people to to not have their their entire lives put on hold and this is a probably getting much further out than, than we planned when we, when I wrote this question. But if you think about the the amount of billionaires that were created within this pandemic, the amount of people who have profited off um, this sort of standstill of people's lives and then the amount of people who have suffered and have suffered so much that if they weren't being killed by coronavirus or they weren't being killed by sort of, like the, the sort of isolation of being by yourself, they were being killed by a lack of financial stability or a lack of food or it's it's just vital necessary things that you think are um sort
2: of standard no i definitely agree and i think um kind of drawing on what both you um and holly have been saying is that like um another example is people who were homeless at the time, who were really affected by the pandemic, both because people, there was no traffic, right? There's no one coming past them, so there's loneliness. There was no one there who could, you know, give them any spare change or buy them something. Um, But also the fact that within, you know, sort of two, three weeks, then the government puts in this plan to get homeless people into temporary accommodation, where you then have to ask yourself that gut-wrenching question, right? So we always had the capacity to do this, But we just did it, you know, with somehow it was only when we prioritised it that we were able to provide the temporary accommodation to get homeless people under shelter and, um, you know, potentially back on their feet. And I know there were a lot of campaigns after that saying, you know, please don't just throw them back out on the street when we ease the lockdown restrictions. Allow them the provision to look for a job under the comfort and safety of a house, of a home. Um, But it's just something really interesting to think about. And I think the other thing that I really came across my mind was that both in easing the restrictions and putting the restrictions on, the government has been a bit too broad brush with it. So it's like, everybody stay inside because that's the logical thing to do. But they didn't really think about the nuances. And I think that's the same when we've eased up now. Like I know a few vulnerable people who are thinking, it's not a personal choice for me to shield because if I don't shield, I'm going to go out there. And if I get the virus, it's very likely that I'm not going to make it through. And it's horrific when you've got a government telling you either go to work um, or don't, you know, either go to work and potentially put your life at risk or don't go to work and we're not going to give you any financial support because it was your personal choice not to go out there and either, you know, put your put yourself in hospital or God forbid, don't survive. If you get the virus I mean I think when you've got your government putting your putting its citizens in that position it's almost criminal um it's just really uh, really broad brush and I think we need to be thinking a little bit more about the nuances and not thinking that we're not all in the same boat we're just not it's a storm that we're all facing but we're not we don't all have the privilege to just go out and take that freedom <laughs> Another interesting thing that's been talked about in terms of being left behind and inequalities and where to draw the line is this, this new thing, which now the media are loving to call the pandemic, um, which I've kind of got a little bit obsessed with that word as a side note, I really like it. Um, but there's been lots of talk about this pandemic and how people are self-isolating, how it's contributed to food shortages and, and the way businesses can run. Um, how do you feel about the decision that potentially certain workers in certain industries will be exempt and where do we draw the line in terms of like is it fair that some industries will be exempt or do we just kind of have to realize that some are essential and where do we draw that line on what is essential um holly if i go to you first
1: yeah so i think it could be a really good decision if it works out the way it's intended of course it's a big risk um but I think it's important for certain workers such as those in like healthcare settings to be able to carry out their work if they're COVID negative um but I do understand that it's really difficult because where do you draw the line you can't really tell someone that their work is like less important than someone else's um but I think I do think we need to get to a point where we can't have so many people having to isolate when it might not even be necessary. Like I've lost all all faith in like the COVID track and trace app. And this is going a little bit off topic, but my boyfriend had COVID. So I was in self-isolation. I came out like this week, but not once the entire time did it come up on my COVID app that I was in self-isolation, which I thought was really weird because you have all these people getting pinged um, like out of nowhere. And then you have me where I I had to self-isolate, but the app didn't say. I just think it's such, such a mess. Like people are having to miss out on their work because they're close contact, but they might not even be that close of a contact. Yeah, I could have easily gone to a restaurant and signed into contact tracing with the app and no one would have known that I shouldn't have been there. Um, Like obviously I wouldn't have done that, but it does make you wonder whether it's happened to other people and whether like other people have just disregarded their isolation. I just think we really do need a different solution because the app at the moment doesn't seem to be working. It's pinging people when they shouldn't be pinged and then it's not pinging people when they should be pinged. Um, But like back to the question, I do think it's really difficult to draw the line and so I think we need to come up with a plan that allows for all workers but I think for the time being certain workers should be like prioritized to be exempt um, and that's not to say that their work is like any more important it's just we need those people to be there in person. Yeah I, I think
0: ideally if we would have anyone who had potentially come into contact with someone who is positive isolate for 10 days. That is the ideal sort of utopian situation. Well, it's not the utopia because utopia would be no COVID, but you get what I'm saying. Whereas um, in this current situation, it's, clearly it's not possible for everyone to, to isolate for 10 days it's some people can't afford it to start with and then there are certain sectors that seriously are under like a shortage of labor and we need them to run properly otherwise we're going to have proper sort of demand issues thankfully most education services are now closed so we don't have that sort of teachers going off lots of students going off it sort of seemed to st- start to steadily rise just as uh, schools were closing and so it Obviously, the government did time it, but it has worked out um, for that for the summer holidays to line up with those. But there are other sectors that are in need of this. And I, from some as someone who was of isolating because of a close contact about three weeks ago, um, that was the most boring ten days of my life. But um, it was necessary, and thankfully, I was testing negative every day. Uh, But then that was kind of frustrating because I was testing negative every day on LFTs that I had through the school that the government gave me and yet I couldn't go into school I couldn't work and my work was import was sort of something that I could only do in person um, and so because I couldn't go into school I wasn't really doing anything at home um, and that was that was quite frustrating but equally I understand there are situations where it's really important that we we have people isolating especially because you know we don't have a, a huge amount of PCRs and in relation to lfc's when pcs are a little bit more reliable so it's just it's very difficult but i do i do think it is it is a good idea um let's just hope the execution uh measures up the same way
2: yeah i think that's a really good point and i think um like you've both been saying it's you know, it's not saying that anyone's work is any less important, it's kind of similar to the whole essential worker status that we had during the pandemic, where it was like, Well, people are working from home, there are just certain jobs where you do need to be there, you do need to be in person. Um, but in the long term, like you say, I think especially for businesses, there needs to be a certain amount of support because especially small businesses have suffered so much already. And to have their staff, I mean, a lot, I know a lot they've been showing it on the news, where like. A business has one person having to isolate or two people having to isolate or whatever, and they just completely have to close for the whole week because they just don't have enough staff. So let's hope the government can come up with a a good solution for that, because it is really tough. Um, This has been a really interesting discussion. I feel like I've learned a lot um, and I've also thought a lot about kind of different things. So not taking too much for granted, just realizing that it's really complicated. Thank you so much for joining us, Holly. It was really nice to get um, an understanding of a Welsh perspective as well. Um, And thanks very much, Adi. And of course, thank you very much to our listeners. This is the Empowered Opinions podcast.
0: The Empowered Opinions podcast, empowering the voices of today. If you would like to hear more from us, you can check out our website at empoweredjournalism.com or follow us on social media at Empowered Journos on Twitter and Empowered Journalism everywhere. Anywhere else.